You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right. Good morning, Radiant Church. Hey, if you're new with us this morning, welcome. You are our guest. We're uh, especially glad that you are here. If you're watching online as well, we're grateful that you're watching online as well. But listen, uh, my name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor of Radiant Church. And again, let me thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. A couple of quick updates slash announcements that I want to bring to you quickly here. And the first one is this. Uh, we said this in first service, but the roof is officially done now here at Radiant Church. Yeah. That's really, really good news, you guys. And so um, we got snow, rain, all the yuckiness is on its way. So we're especially glad that that is finished. Our uh, new countertops have been ordered for the men's bathrooms and the sinks. And the base is being built by Mr. Marcet, our very own person here at, at Radiant Church. Yeah. And so we are excited for that. That will hopefully be completed um, maybe the end of January. We don't have a solid date depending on when those things get off that barge in the, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or whatever it is, okay? So um, that was a joke, by the way. So um, we're hoping that will be done, though, by the end of January. So lots of exciting stuff coming here at Radiant Church. And then let me just um, encourage the men with us that we have our men's breakfast coming up December 18th uh, from 8.30 to 10.30. And if you are a man in the church, we'd love for you to attend this. This will be We'll have uh, an awesome, amazing breakfast together as guys will fellowship, and then I will teach for about an hour to an hour and 10 minutes. It's, there's a lot of content, but this is an important teaching that I would love you to be there for. You can register at RadiantBC.com and uh, save your spot, reserve your spot today, but please make an effort, men, to be here. It's going to be a great morning, and I promise you, this is content that you're not going to want to miss because I'm speaking to this cultural moment into what we see in society right now and the authority of Scripture in the midst of all of that. So make sure you register for that today. All right. Well, this morning we are beginning our brand new series entitled Born the King Has Come. And we're taking a break from our series in the book of Acts. We're actually taking a break for the next several weeks, and we won't pick things back up until about the end of January, because after our series, our Christmas series, Born, we'll actually have our series called Seek which we do every single year in January. That will be a three-week series, really just sort of centered on worship, prayer, and the presence of God and seeking Him, seeking His face in the new year for what God might do in us and through us in the new year. We want to just kick off the new year in the right way by putting God first right where He Belongs, And so this, uh, this series, though, is a season or is a series based on the season that we know as traditionally on the, the, the church calendar, what we call as Advent. Now, Advent is a Latin word, and Advent means uh, two things. It, it speaks of reflection, and it also speaks of anticipation or preparation. Let me explain that for just a few moments. During Advent, we reflect and we remember, we look back on the birth, the coming of our Lord into this 
world. Jesus being born in a manger, a baby boy, coming as our king, coming as our savior in the difference that Jesus makes in our life, in our world today. But Advent is also a time of preparation of what? Anticipation. Why? What do we do? We, we look forward. We look forward to the return. His second coming, that word Advent literally means arrival or coming. And so we're looking forward as well in preparation. We're preparing our hearts for the king to return, for Jesus to come, for the king to make his way into our hearts, into our lives. But his physical manifestation, his return here on the earth. Listen, Jesus promised he's coming and it will come to pass. Jesus is returning and we have so much hope not only in his first arrival but in his second coming as well as we look forward to Jesus when the when the heavens will crack open the skies will break open we'll hear that trumpet blast and there we will see our king riding on the clouds and so during this series we're going to look at um, some familiar passages of scripture these are the birth narratives of Jesus, the, 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 the texts that speak of Jesus' first coming. And we're going to unveil or reveal some, some truths. I think these are powerful truths from these passages. And we're also going to cover some common lies. And so we'll look at the truth of what God has to say, but we'll also... Uh, reveal or sort of uh, unveil some common lies. And these are common lies that Satan, our enemy, is still attempting to spread today. And so my prayer for this Advent season for this particular series is that it will uh, just challenge you right where you're at. It will encourage your hearts during this holiday season that we might invite the King of Glory, not only to live into our hearts, but that we might live into the reality of the kingdom of God coming near to us this season. So if you have a Bible, if you have a version app, I would love for it if you could join me in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read about five or six verses here. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse number 26. I'll read these these verses, and then we'll pray together and get on with the rest of our service. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Luke writes, he says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, who, sent, who was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Let's take a few moments and let's pray. These are the verses that we're going to sort of examine up close this morning. Let's pray that God might have his way in our hearts 
and that we, we might have open ears to hear what he would say by his spirit. Let's pray. God, um, we love you, and I'm just thinking of the song that we just sang that Sarah led. Uh, we love you, and we can't get enough. God, and all this is for you. Lord, all this right here, God, this is for you. This gathering, these people, God, the things that we say, what we do, God, this life, God, these lives, God, are for you. This is, God, a sacrifice of praise that from our lips, God, to you. And so, God, we offer you. We, we bring our offering. It's not much, God. It's not much for a king, God, but we bring you our yes. We bring you our amen. We bring you our obedience. We bring you our hearts. God, we bring you our very lives, and we lay them down, God, as gifts to the king. We say, have your way in this place, King Jesus, and do what only you can do. Open up blind eyes, unlock deaf ears, soften hardened hearts, God. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's, let's dive into this narrative because as Luke opens up this portion in our story, we are introduced to this young Jewish girl named Mary. And Mary is betrothed, Scripture says. She's betrothed, or she's, in other words, she's engaged. She's engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, what else do we know about Mary as we look at these verses? We know this. We know she was a Jewess of the tribe of Judah. She was a virgin. In other words, she had not had uh, sexual relationships yet with a man. We know that she was engaged to a carpenter from Nazareth, and his name was Joseph. Now, let me explain to you um, in this time period the context of what we're looking at, because among the Jews at the time, you were engaged or engagement lasted traditionally for a year. And the engagement was just as binding as a marriage was. In fact, an engagement could not be broken only but by through divorce. It was that serious. In fact, a man and a woman, they were called husband and wife at that point, even though they were not yet married. What else do we know about this scenario? We know this, that Jewish women married at a very young age. So scholars and commentators believe that Mary was anywhere from 13 to 15 years old. Can you imagine, ladies, being 13, 14, 15 years old and having this angel visit you, giving you this news that you would give birth to a son, that you were, were carrying the very son of God? And so Luke tells us that when Gabriel, the angel, visits, visits Mary, she's troubled, right? She's troubled, and, and you would be troubled too, okay? If an angel came and visited you in the middle of the night, I promise you, you would be troubled. But the Greek meaning behind the phrase greatly troubled describes this. It describes something thoroughly stirred up, confused, and perplexed. This divine messenger would be enough to stir up confusion in this young teenager. So Mary is what? She's, she's got all these thoughts stirring up in her mind. She's um, 
holding these things in her heart. She's contemplating these truths, this message, and she's trying to figure out, because this is all brand new for her. She's never received a message like this before in her life. So she's just simply trying to make sense of it. What does this mean? She's 14 years old, 15 years old. Are you serious? Is this really going to happen to me? Can you imagine the confusion? Can you imagine the questions? Can you imagine what's going in her heart, going on in her heart and in her mind in this situation? Mary has been overwhelmed by this message. There's something else that we should take notice, though, about these first few verses that we're reading here together. As both a woman and a young person who's not married, I want to point this out to you, that Mary had virtually no social status. No social status. We know that she was this humble Galilean villager. We also know this. We also know that on top of this, both her and Joseph were both poor. They were poor. And we know this because in Luke chapter 2, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph, when they approach the temple, they offer a sacrifice of two turtle doves. Now, this was what was required of the Mosaic law if you could not afford your own lamb. And this is what we see them doing. In fact, if you read Leviticus chapter 12, it tells of this. And this is what we see Mary and Joseph doing. We know that they're poor, no social status. And we also know, and this is really important for us to actually pay attention to, is that they're, uh, the, the, they're, they're in Nazareth at this time as well. Now, in contrast to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was this great sort of metropolis-like setting with these giant structures of, of, of buildings. Listen, Nazareth was the complete opposite. Nazareth, Nazareth was a lowly village. It was this insignificant place, this place that had no value that people looked down upon, right? Some of you may remember in John chapter 1, Verse 46, you, you may remember this conversation between Nathaniel and Philip. Philip has found the Messiah. You know, the Messiah that's been foretold by the prophets of old. And Philip is inviting Nathaniel to come and see. Come and see the one who I've met. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel asks him the question, what good can come from Nazareth? Why? Why would he say that? Why would he ask that type of question? Well, it's revealing to us the way that Jewish people thought about those who came from Nazareth. In fact, the Jewish people regarded those who came from Nazareth in low esteem. In other words, what? They looked down upon them, right? These, these were a lower class people. If you came from Nazareth, that's that part of town that nobody likes to visit. You know what I'm saying? It's the part of town that, you know, those poor people live over there, those one people live over there. And this is the way that the Jewish people looked at Nazareth. It's equivalent to, maybe you've heard the modern day sort of idiom or euphemism in some sense, the other side of the tracks. You ever heard that before, church? Right? Oh, she's from the other side of the tracks. Oh, okay, okay, I see what, what you're saying. She's, she's from that part of town. Oh, what, what, what do you mean? The other side of the tracks represents what this place that's undesirable to live in. It's a, it's a place where it's uh, particularly impoverished. Maybe it's a place that's dangerous 
to live. And that's what, that's what Luke tells us about this scenario that they were in Nazareth at this time, and this was an insignificant place where the Jewish people looked down upon anyone who came from Nazareth in that region in Galilee. So what do we have here this morning? Just these few verses, I think there's so much that God wants to show us that he wants to tell us. What do we have here? We have this unheard of Jewish girl named, named Mary, right? She's, she's unheard of. She has no social status, nothing particularly, you know, special or exciting about Mary. There's like nothing that stands out to us. There's nothing particularly um, significant about Mary or else I think Luke would tell us she's poor. Both Joseph and her are poor. And they both come from where? From Nazareth, which is what? This overlooked place in Israel, this place where the Jewish people looked down on you if you came from Nazareth. Again, Nazareth is not like Jerusalem. It's not this famous city. It's not a bustling metropolis. Nazareth is the complete opposite. It's a community looked down upon by the Jews. Unheard of girl, no social status. She's poor. She's pregnant. She's not married. So that's taboo right there as you know, that was, she could have been murdered or stoned according to the law, the law of Moses. And she comes from this insignificant place, this, like nobody's live in Nazareth, right? What good can come from Nazareth? That's what Nathaniel asks. So what can we gather from these Bible verses? What can we gather from uh, what we're looking at today, what does God want to highlight in us and for us? And church, I think it's safe for us to say this, this one truth today, and it's this, that God chooses unlikely people to change the world, right? God chooses unlikely people to change the world, and, and he does it in Mary, right? This is what we see in her situation, young, female. And by the way, this is first century Greco-Roman culture. If you were a female in that day, that came with some significant disadvantages. There was no sort of equal rights for women in that day in the Greco-Roman culture. Not at all. Here's this woman, right? The savior of the world would be born from the most unlikely woman in the world. The Savior, the one who would come to die for us, to die on that tree for our sins, for the sins of the world. The King, the King of glory, the one who left heaven, the one who left his throne for us would come in the most unlikely way through a person who nobody has ever heard of. Can you imagine for just a few moments, what if, what if we were writing this story? You know what I mean? Like, what if, like, I wrote the story. What if you wrote the story? How would you write it? I, I think you would write it differently. I know how I would write it. I would write it certainly much, much different than what we see in the text. And you would too. Because what if we wrote the story um, with regards to the way the world does things, the way the world sees things? What if we wrote the story in that way. Well, if, if we wrote the story in that way, we would write a story and we would say, Mary was beautiful. She was 
extremely attractive, gorgeous. I mean, wow, one of the most beautiful women in all the land. That was who Mary was, right? Wow, we would talk about her beauty. Maybe we would say Mary was incredibly talented. She had a voice of an angel. Like, she was an amazing entertainer and singer. Like, wow, this girl's so gifted. She's so talented. It's no wonder that the king of, king of glory would be born from her. Wow, she's incredibly talented and gifted. We, we might say this, especially today, Mary, Mary's got this amazing following on Instagram, right? She got all kinds of TikTok followers. Mary makes the best dance videos on TikTok, right? Gosh, Mary blows it up. She's amazing. Millions and millions of followers on Instagram. Maybe Mary would live in this huge, influential, affluential city like Chicago or L.A. or, or New York. Certainly she wouldn't come from Bay City, right? <laughs> like, who's from Bay City? Madonna? Who cares about Madonna, right? Just saying. She wouldn't come from Bay City or Freeland, Saginaw, Midland, or anything like that. Sorry to burst your bubble. We might say that Mary came from this well-off, beautiful, perfect little family. You know what I'm talking about? She came from this, this family of well-to-do people like doctors and lawyers and, and successful entrepreneurs. And there was no dysfunction. There was no divorce. And she's sleeping with her. And she's, oh, she's sleeping with him and all this sort of craziness that we see in family. And dysfunctional families that are torn apart and different baby daddies. It wouldn't be like that. She, it would be this functional, normal, beautiful, amazing, perfect family. Mary wouldn't come from a family of dysfunction. <laughs> but this isn't the case, is it? I mean, right? It's not the case. This is not the case, though. In fact, let me just tell you this. This is never the case. Never. For those who God chooses to use in the Bible. It's actually never the case. This is our case. This is the way that we would want to paint the picture, tell the story, write the narrative. But it's not the case of what we see in the Scripture. And I want to be honest with you. Listen, we see this throughout all of Scripture, and this should not be of any surprise to us. God uses unlikely people to change the world. People that you and I wouldn't choose. In fact, if I were God, I would not use half of the people that God used in the Bible. Why? Because they all come with their own dysfunction, their own problems, their own issues, their own weaknesses, their own insecurities, right? They come with a load of baggage. And this is what God does. God uses unlikely people to change the world. If you don't believe me, let me just give you a few examples. Let's start with Abraham. What was his problem? Well, Abraham was too old. His wife was barren. That's a problem. What about Isaac? Well, Isaac was a daydreamer, distracted by many things. How about Jacob? Well, Jacob was a liar. Genesis tells us that Jacob was a deceiver. He had character flaws that seemed beyond repair. How about Joseph? <laughs> Joseph, oh, Joseph. Joseph was abused. He was sold into slavery by his own family, his own brothers. Not to mention this, Joseph was immature and naive. That was Joseph. How about Mo Moses? 
Moses had a stuttering problem. In fact, so much so, he, was, he lacked confidence that, that when he went to his assignment, when the Lord gave him his, his assignment, the Lord has to send his brother Aaron with him and says, your brother will speak for you. Moses had a stuttering problem. What about Gideon? Well, Gideon was afraid. He lacked courage. He lacked confidence in God. How about Rahab? Well, Rahab was a prostitute, so there's that. Her past was ridden by a life of promiscuity and sin. Jeremiah and Timothy, they were too young, overlooked. Why would God use such young people, teenagers perhaps? What about David? Well, where do we start with David, right? (laughs) David had an affair. If you didn't know that, read your Bibles. David had an affair. He was a murderer, and we could also say that David was a terrible father. If you read the scripture, his daughter Tamar is raped by their half-brother, and David does nothing. What about Elijah? Well, Elijah was depressed, suicidal. What about Jonah? Well, Jonah ran from God. Jonah heard the message from God. He was given the assignment. What does Jonah do? Jonah runs the opposite direction. It's like, I'm not doing what you've asked me to do. No, thank you. I'll take a ship headed toward Tarshish. Thank you, Lord. What about Naomi? Well, she was a widow. Husband had died. Tragedy in the family, of course. What about Job? Well, Job went bankrupt, and he suffered beyond belief. Everything was taken from Job. Why would God use a man like Job? What about Peter? Peter, you guys, Peter, right? Peter, James, John, inner circle of Jesus, the closest, one of the closest people to Jesus, knew Jesus so, so, so well. I wish I could just have a glimpse into Peter's life and that, that inner circle. And what does Peter do? He denies Jesus not once, not twice, but what? But three times. Denies Jesus three times. What about Martha? Well, Martha was worried about everything. How about the disciples? Well, the disciples fell asleep while praying. This should give you hope for your prayer life, right? (laughs) It's like, I'm just concentrating on the beauty of the Lord. No, you're not. You're sleeping, right? (laughs) Closing my eyes. Closing my eyes. What about the Samaritan woman? Well, she was divorced more than once, okay? Dysfunctional relationship was her middle name. Seriously. What about Zacchaeus? Well, he was too small. He was a wee little man. How about Paul? Paul was too religious. He was a zealot in some sense, right? Steeped in self-righteousness, pride, until what? Until the Lord knocks him off of his horse on the road to Damascus. You can read about that in Acts. We'll, We'll cover that eventually in our series. What about Timothy? Well, he had an ulcer. Lazarus, he was just dead, right? So. Let me say this this morning. These are the examples, and there's countless more, to be honest with you, of unlikely people who God chooses to use for his purposes, for his glory, for the mission, to accomplish a mission here on the earth. So a poor background does not disqualify you from being used greatly, from you walking in the purposes of God. Now, listen to this, though. God wants to move you out of your dysfunction, your dysfunctional behavior. He wants to move you out of that. But listen, this should all give us hope. It should give us hope, right? 
Because what about you? Let me just ask you this for, for a few moments. What, what about you and your situation right now? In other words, what's your excuse to saying, I can walk in the fullness of God's will. I can walk in his purposes. I can walk to accomplish what he has for me in my life. What's your excuse? What are you saying to God? Because my guess is some of you are filled with excuses. You might be saying this, well, listen, I, I, I'm too poor. I, I don't, I'm strapped. I don't have money, Pastor Marco. I, I, I come from a not well-off-to-do family. In fact, my family is a, it's a mess. And I, I don't have the resources nor the finances to do, to do anything significant in my life. And maybe that's your excuse what about your age, right? Are you too old? You feel like you're too old. You feel like, man, the ship has passed, right? It's like I might as well just sort of get ready to lay in my casket. I hope you're not saying that, by the way, right? It's so too old. Just, I don't have it in me anymore. I'm tired, right? I just... Are you too young, right? Because some of you might think, oh, I'm just too young, and uh, no one's going to take me seriously because of how young I am, and I, don't, I lack experience, Marco. I, I just I don't have the know-how, right? Maybe it's more of like a talent or skill thing. I, I don't have the skill that the musicians have on stage, or I can't talk like you, Marco. I, can, I can't do those types of things, and you just like, hey, I, I don't have those skills. I lack know-how, and I just feel like, you know what? Um, I don't add up. I just don't add up. What about this one? This one's really big for, for a lot of people because we all have it. What about this for you? It's your past. It's your past. Your past. And when you look at your future, you look at it through the lens of your past failures and your past weaknesses and your past mistakes. It's your past. And so you keep running back to your past because why? Because you keep viewing your future through that lens. That's why. What's your excuse, Right? Because we all have excuses. We're all saying things that would hinder, prevent us from being used by God, from walking in his fullness, in his purposes, to accomplish the mission that he's given each and every one of us, corporately as a church, but also individually, individuals. He's called you to a purpose, to a life, to a mission. So what's your excuse? What do you keep messing up? What are you doing? What lie are you believing? Here's the lie I think that many of you are believing. This is, I want to uncover this today. It's lie number one. The lie is this. God only uses perfect people. God only uses perfect people. This is a lie. I told you we would uncover lies in this series. This is our first one. So let me just ask you this question because it's bound to affect some of you. I know it is. How long have you believed this lie? A year, two years, three years, five years? How long have you been living with the consequences of believing this lie? Because here's what happens. Those who believe this lie tend to run back to the thing that got them in trouble in the first place. Those who believe this lie walk not in confidence, but what? In insecurity. And you know what an insecurity is? An insecurity is this. Insecurities are narratives, false stories, false narratives that we believe about our lives. And because we believe them, guess what we do? We walk in them. And they become self-fulfilling prophecies of destruction. Right? When you believe in insecurity, you're believing a lie about your own life. 
And you continue to believe that lie, you live it out. It's naturally going to happen, right? This is what happens with those who believe a lie. It hinders us from living into God's will and God's best. Those who walk in insecurity will never, never walk in God's best. Never walk into his fullness of blessing. And I, I just think that God want, God's a good father. And he, he wants to bless us. Not in the prosperity gospel cheesy sort of way. Just about money garbage that we hear sometimes. Not in that way, but in the fullness of how we live our lives. In the fullness of relationships. Healthy relationships. In the fullness of how we handle our finances. In the fullness of how we live our lives. The fullness of how we parent. The fullness of how we show up. In this world. Come on, someone, right? Yeah. The fullness of that. But if you walk believing a lie, you live out that lie. It's just natural. You, you can't help it. You're going to live it out. It's only as we expose the lies of the enemy that we can what? Find freedom and grace to live in the truth of God. We have to find freedom first. We have to find freedom first. We have to believe the truth. Not just believe it in the sense it's in our head, but believe it in the sense that we walk it out. So what is the truth? Well, again, here it is. God uses unlikely people to change the world. I want you to notice something here. We're going to look at this other passage of Scripture. It's the Apostle Paul. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and I want you to notice what Paul tells about these Christians. These Christians have now been forgiven of sin. These Christians have now uh, received the promises of God. These, these Christians are now walking after Jesus, following him, obeying him. They've been, uh, they're being sanctified, and they're walking in truth. But notice, I want you to notice what Paul says about their past, about who they used to be, about where they came from, because Paul wants to illustrate a truth that's so vital for all of us today. He says this, 1 Corinthians 1.26. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Look back where you came from, he's saying. Consider your calling. He says, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. You were a bunch of morons, right? Idiots. <laughs> You're like, hey, 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 hey. Not many were powerful. You didn't have power. You didn't have any cultural influence, social status. You didn't have any of those things. Paul says, you were not powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. Okay? You weren't born a king. You weren't born a queen. You didn't have this prestigious life that, you know, other people might live. But, look at the next verse, verse 27. But God chose what is what, church? Foolish. That's you and I, a bunch of fools, before Jesus, right? Foolish. Foolish in the world. That phrase shows up just a couple times, by the way. What is foolish in the world to shame the wise? God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised it. In the world. In other words, the way that the world views these things, views you, low, despised, shameful, not wise, not of noble birth, not prestigious, no social status, you don't have influence, you, you don't have a million followers on Instagram, okay? This is what Paul's saying. 
even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that, and this is so important, church, because you need to see this. So that, here's the reason. This is, this is the reason in the Greek. This is showing us the reason. So that no human might boast in the presence of God. So that no human might boast in the presence of God. Paul's trying to tell us something today, the Corinthians of that day. He's saying that God has a standard sort of operational mode that he works through, and God just chooses the lowly. He chooses the unwise. He chooses those things that are, that are, that are not, uh, that are foolish, rather. He chooses those who are of noble birth. Why? Why would God ever decide to do that? So that none of us have reason reason to boast or brag in God's presence. He uses what is weak, what's foolish, shameful, unwise, not strong, so that no one will boast in the presence of God. Let me remind you, church, did you know that God shines best through our weakness? Do you realize that God accomplishes his perfect purpose in imperfect people? What about this? Have you not noticed that God's light shines the brightest through what? Through broken vessels. The cracks reveal the light that shines through. Think about this. What if God chose perfect people, perfect circumstances, in the perfect situations? What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. God would never receive the glory due his name. He would never receive the glory due his name. I'm convinced that God wants us, for us to say, this is what I'm convinced. I'm convinced God wants us to say, look what the Lord has done in my life. Look what the Lord has done in my life. Not look at what I've done. Not look at how, how attractive I am. Not look how much money I have. Not look at my affluence. Not look at my family. They're doctors and lawyers. Look at what we can afford. Not look at my skill. Not look at my prestigious degree from the university. Not look at any of those things, but say, look what the Lord has done in my life. Look what God has done, right? God on display, not us. We must become what? We must decrease so he can increase. This is what John the Baptist tells us. This was John the Baptist's message, by the way. We must decrease so that he can increase. It's not about how much I, 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 how smart I am or how well I can speak. Nobody cares about that, right? People care about who Jesus is. The difference that Jesus makes. I've received a job, a calling. I'm supposed to preach the gospel. That's what I'm doing. God made me faithful to the very end, but it's not about me. It's about him, his glory, his fame. The whole earth would know who Jesus is. I'm convinced that God wants us to simply say, look what the Lord has done. And guess what? This is, or rather, God knew that this is, This would be the response of Mary. He knew this would be Mary's response. A nobody from Nazareth, a young girl, 13, 14 years old. He knew, he knew this would be her 
response, that she would respond appropriately. How does she respond? She says this in Luke 1.38. She says, and Mary said, she said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I love that line, by the way. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. God, your, your promises are yes and amen. So let it be, God, according to what you've said. Not what I've said, not what I've done, not what I want to do, but what you've said, right? It's an appropriate response. It's a response steeped in faith. And the angel departed from her. So Mary responds, listen. With faith. And you may not be able to change your past, okay? And I can't change it for you either. And I can't change my past. Because I have a past too. You have a past. We all have a past, okay? You can't change your past. I know that you can't do that. But you can't give them your today. And you can, get, you can give them your right now. You can give them your right now obedience. You can give them your heart. Not just your heart, your whole life. You can offer a sacrifice of your body to Jesus now. Right now. Right now. And let me just say this. I want to be clear, church. Just because God doesn't use perfect people, this is not your excuse to stay in your sin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't use perfect people, so I'm going to run back to that, to my lover. Oh, <laughs> God doesn't use perfect people, so I'm just going to go back to porn. God, I know God doesn't use perfect people, so I'm a dysfunctional mess, so I'm going to date another loser. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, listen. This is not your excuse <laughs> to stay in your sin. Rather, listen, rather, this is the grace you need to find freedom from your sin. And I love this. Mary acknowledges that she's a servant of the Lord. It's underlined. This is so important. Why? Because this is how Mary, listen, identifies herself. This is the place where she finds her identity. Mary says, I'm a servant of the Lord. You're going to serve someone or something, but you need to decide, who are you going to serve? Are you going to be a servant to your lust? Are you going to be a servant to your insecurities? Are you going to serve your past? Are you going to serve... Uh, Whatever's been spoken over you that's broken you, are you going to serve whatever your desires, your lust are, or are you going to be a servant of the Lord? This is the question for us. This is where Mary places her identity. She says, I'm a servant of what? Of the Lord. This is who I am. This is my identity. This is who I am. This is what I walk out. This is the truth that I know. And we'll all serve someone. You're serving someone, right? You'll either serve your own lusts or you'll serve Jesus, but you can't do both of them. So if you're going to be used by God, listen, there's so much potential in this room. Listen, you need to decide who will you serve. You're serving something or someone, I promise you. And this is, this is, to, this is for the Christian. Christian, this is for you this morning. If you're not a believer, this, you're kind of exempt from this in some sense. But if you're a Christian this morning, your identity is in Christ. So guess who you are? A servant of the Lord. So don't serve your passions. Don't serve your lust. Don't serve your past. Don't serve your dysfunction. Don't serve your family's dysfunction. Serve the Lord. And I love this. I love this because Mary says, I am the servant of the Lord. You got to get that in your head. You got to get that in your heart. You got to get that in your life. Who will you serve? Who are you a servant of? 
because we're all servants of something or someone, right? Maybe your money or your sexual lusts. Maybe your past. Uh, maybe your appetites, right? <laughs> we're, we're serving something or someone, right? This is, the, this is the case. But listen, Mary is not a servant of her past. Mary is a servant of the Lord. This is who God's called you to be. And for, if you're a Christian this morning, listen, this, this is your identity. So I need to remind you to live out this identity. Well, I don't feel that way, Marco. I don't care what your feelings tell you. Well, I just, so some days I just feel so discouraged and so beat up. I don't, I, I, I get that. I get that, right? We've all been there. I've been there. Hello, right? But I'm not, I'm not worried about your feelings as much as I'm worried about your identity. Who are you deriving your identity from? Feelings come and go. They can change. They shift. They're like, it's like, it's like a roller coaster ride. I, I, I get it. Feelings are there. We shouldn't totally ignore them, right? But they're, we don't put all of our hope in them, though. We put our hope in Christ. I'm so passionate about this because Mary is such an example for us. You don't understand. You don't get this. She's a nobody, no social status. She's poor. She's nothing in her favor. And God chooses the most unlikely woman to, to bear the Son of God. If He can do it through Mary, He can do it in us. So let me just leave you with this. What if you could stop believing? the lies of your insecurities, right? What if I could stop believing the lies of my insecurities? What if you stopped looking at your future through the prism of your past? What if your weaknesses, listen, set the stage for God's greatest miraculous work in and through you? Some of you, listen, this is what the Lord told me this week. Some of you, and this is, for, this is for Christians only right now. Some of you, I, I sense the Lord saying there are some in the church who are living one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, and it doesn't work that way. Tell them to say it does not work that way. And so the question again is for you, who will you serve? Will you give them your today? Will you, you can't go back and, and, and change it. You can't. I, 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 I get it. I wish you could. I, I wish I could. But you can give them your now. You can give them your today. You can give them your everyday obedience, right? There's a fight. I don't know if you knew this, but there's a fight for your soul between darkness and light. Demons in hell want you. They want you for their purposes. But God has called you his. Because why? Because you're a servant of the Lord. So who will you choose to, to serve today? And if you'll give them your now, if you'll, if you'll give them your, 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 your obedience now, your heart, your life right now, listen, I think God wants to move, I don't know who this is for, but I think God wants to move you out of dysfunction into, into healing. He wants to move you out of your past into a future with him. God, God doesn't want you to remain in your dysfunction. That's not God's will for your life. It's not God's best for your life. God wants to, to use you to work through you to accomplish great and mighty things. So why? So that on that last day, or, or even right now, actually, you can say, look what the Lord has done. Man, let it be according to your word, God. Let it be. Is there anyone who wants to do that this morning? Let it be according to his word. Anybody have an attitude like that, church? Yes, amen. God uses unlikely people to change the world. He can change you. 
make it work through you. If he did it in Mary, he'll do it through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, we're so reminded of this truth this morning, God. Who we are, whose we are. God, we're not servants of our lusts. We're not servants of our past. We're not even servants of our insecurities. God, we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, we walk that out right now. We walk it out right now. God, this is not an excuse to stay in sin, but it's the grace to find freedom from sin, God. That's good news, God. That is good news. That you came to set captives free. God, you came, God, to dismantle every chain. God, you came, God, to bring liberty to those who were held in prison. God, you came that we might have life, God. And that's what you want to do this morning because you choose unlikely people to change the world, God. And you want to change us to change our world, Lord. Some of us need the courage to believe that, God. Some of us need the boldness to to walk it out, God. So would you give us courage this morning, God, as we turn away from whatever's hindered us, God, whether it's money, whether it's lies, whether it's sex, whatever it might be, God, whatever's hindered us, God, as we turn away from that, as we say, I'm a servant of the Lord, sorry, this is my identity. And because of that, there's things I cannot do and I will not do because this is my identity. God, would you give us the boldness to walk it out? Lord, you're choosing unlikely people to, to accomplish your great purposes, Lord. What a beautiful thing it is. What a mighty God you are, God. God, you are so good. And your grace, God, is never failing. It's un- it's... God, we can't even measure it, <laughs> how good it is, God, your love and your grace for us, God. And so we choose today to respond like Mary. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And if there's someone in here who doesn't know you, uh, God, I pray that uh, they might uh, turn their hearts to you this morning, that they might see Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that they might turn from uh, their wicked ways, that they might follow Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the only way, the only truth, the only life that we know, God, uh, that we will see you as the true king who died in our place so that we might be forgiven. We could find life, hope, joy, and peace. We thank you for it, God. We thank you for new life, God. Right now, let it spring up, God, all around this place. New life, resurrection power. We love you, God. Wow, you are so good. What can we say, God? What can we say but you are so good? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.